Well, this is a season of Thanksgiving, and uh, the reason that we give thanks is because He has given to us. Last week, we, we kind of kicked off the season, really, of generosity, um, because He has been generous to us. And we're, we're in the middle of, of uh, we're in the middle of, of a, not a generosity campaign, that sounds kind of artificial, but we're, we're in a generous season. As a church, I mean, last week, a couple weeks ago, y'all, you gave. Uh, as a church, we gave 103 boxes to uh, to send overseas uh, with Operation Christmas Child. Uh, last count, and 103. That's incredible. On top of that, you have already given Christmas to 50 foster care kids, and you did that on, on uh, at, at the last minute. Like we were, other churches had fallen through the cracks. And said, no, we can't do that after they had committed to it. They called you, and you gave 50 uh, foster care kids in our area. They're having Christmas because of you. Uh, we always do a tree for, for um, uh, uh, life choices. And every year so far, they've had to bring back more ornaments because you fill uh, those, those requests beyond what they expect every year. On top of that, you give to International Missions. At this time, uh, specifically of here, I mean, you are beyond generous, beyond generous. And at this time of the year, this season, we uh, I've been talking about generosity. And the question that that I would ask, if I were you, maybe if I were me, is why in the world would you talk about it? On top of that, why would you why would you have a season, a, a strategic time in your church's life? Where you, would, where you would talk about generosity, where you would give people the opportunity to go beyond what they normally give, which is already uh, uh, overwhelming, why would, you, why would I encourage, ask, give myself, give beyond that during a season of generosity? And then, why on earth would you talk about it? I mean, after all, there's, there's very few subjects um, that the church has has alienated itself from the culture more than, than this particular subject. I mean, they're, they're, the church has a bad reputation in the United States, in our culture, because of this subject in many instances. So why in the world would we talk about it? Why in the world would we have a season of generosity? In fact, this past week, I think it was this past week, it may have been two weeks ago, a friend, a friend he's a more of an acquaintance, a kid that I grew up with. Um, he lived in the neighborhood that I, that I grew up in, and now he's an avowed atheist, and, which means basically it, kind of the, the banner of his life or like the, the slogan of his life means there is no God and I hate him. Go figure that one out. Um, you'll think about that later. But um, he, he, was, he was mocking this very thing about the church just this past week or a week, a week ago. He talked about how we, we, when it comes to money and it, becomes, and it comes to what we, what we believe, uh, uh, there's, there's an element of, of uh, uh, manipulation. There's a, an element of, of uh, uh, less than, than, than being real. There's this, this kind of superficial manipulation that goes on in the church. Um, when, when it comes to the to the topic of money, 
pastors get up and they, they talk about it and they, they, they guilt you and they manipulate you and, and the, the result is I'm just going to throw my money in there to get him off my back so I can look at myself in the mirror so there's no guilt the rest of the week. And that was kind of the, the, the topic, the video that he put on his, on his uh, Facebook page. And while I'm, I'm, I don't think that our culture you know, far and wide would ascribe to there is no God and I hate him, uh, there is this idea that the church has alienated itself from the culture when it comes to this topic. So the question is, why in the world would we talk about it? And why would we have a season where we, as a church, give above and beyond what we normally give for the sake of kids overseas that we'll never meet, for the sake of foster care kids who can never repay what we've given to them? Why would we have a season devoted to that? I think there's two reasons. First one is this, because the Bible talks about it, and it talks about it a lot. In fact, the Gospel of Luke, if you really look at it, most of that book talks about money. God talks about money a lot. In fact, it's the one, maybe there might be two, but I, I would say it's definitely the primary. It's the primary example of an external um, uh, measuring stick of what is important internally. It is the primary external measuring stick of what is important in your heart. You want to know what you believe? Look at where you spend your money. It will never lie to you. It is very important. I would dare even say, this is what I put in my notes, I would dare even say that if you want a high level of Christian maturity, it is impossible unless you lay how you feel about money and the way you see your money at the feet of Christ. God talks about it a lot. It's an external measuring stick of internally, in your heart, what is important to you. Look at where you spend your money. Number two, just as important, if not more so. The reason that we are generous, the reason we talk about generosity, the reason that we have a season of generosity is because we serve a God who is far more generous to us than we could ever be to him or to anybody else. We serve a lavishly, lavishly generous Heavenly Father. And so because of those two reasons, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to, we're going to be generous. We're going to encourage each other to be generous. Because it shows, it reveals what's important to us. And in following the example of our Heavenly Father, who is far more generous than you and I could ever be, we're going to be generous following that example. Well, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 speaks to this very issue. And he does, does so far more eloquently than I ever could. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 6, but I want to set up What's going on in the, in the, uh, in the passage, in, the, in this text, before we jump in? The uh, Apostle Paul is actually sending out um, uh, a letter. This is the second letter that we have. He's sending it out, and part of the reason that he's sending out the letter is in an effort to raise money for the Christians that are back in Jerusalem. <clears throat> back in Jerusalem... Um, the, the, the believers there, the church in Jerusalem, is actually going through a very severe famine. They are in great need. And the Apostle Paul, on their behalf, is soliciting, encouraging, raising funds, 
with our front churches around Asia Minor, outside of Jerusalem. He's going to those churches. He's sending out letters in an effort to raise funds, to solicit funds on their behalf. Paul does this for about 10 years during his ministry. He is um, jailed because of it. He faces persecution because of this, um, this uh, raising of funds. He pays a heavy price for raising funds on behalf of the believers in Jerusalem. But he thinks that it's so important, he is willing to leverage his very life for the sake of the believers in Jerusalem to raise funds to help meet their physical needs. Well, in this book, in this particular chapter, chapter 8 primarily, but it follows into chapter 9 where we're going to be this morning, part of his purpose is raising Finance is raising resources on behalf of the believers in Jerusalem. From the believers in Asia Minor. That kind of sets the stage for what Paul is talking about in chapter 9, verse 6. He says this. He says this. The point of this, the point of everything that he's been talking about, the point for raising funds, the reason that I want you to send funds to send resources to the believers in Jerusalem. The point of all that is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I want to grant you something. This verse has been hijacked. It has been hijacked by many pastors, by many teachers of God's word. It's as if the rest of the Bible is no longer true and suddenly we live by uh, excuse me, by a a uh, a standard uh, of karma. If you give, you will get. If you give a little, you'll get a little. If you get a lot, if you give a lot, you'll get a lot. It's as if the the, the teachers, many teachers of God's word, throughout the rest of the Bible, and they use this one verse to pretend to lie that suddenly, as believers, we live under this idea of karma. Karma. It is simply not true. And if you read the following verse, it becomes clear. The next verse, verse 7. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul at the very beginning of this particular uh, section of, of Scripture, at this, this, this text, he says this. The reason we don't give, the reason we are not generous, is because we are under compulsion. Because you, you have been manipulated. You don't give because you have this, this level or this, this um, measure of guilt inside your heart. And you just want to get Scott and God off my back. So when the, the offering plate comes by, when he asks us to give, I just want to get him off my back. I want him to stop talking about it. I feel manipulated. Let me just give it to him, and then I'll feel, be able to look myself in the mirror. I'll feel good about myself. That is not why we give, according to Paul. We don't live in this state of karma. If I give, then I can look at myself in the mirror. If I give a lot, I can, I can, get, I can expect God to give me a lot back. That is not the reason. That we as believers, as people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, are generous. That's not why we're generous, according to Paul. We do not give out of compulsion. We do not give because we're manipulated. We don't give reluctantly. 
We don't say, well, here's my 10%. Now, just leave me alone already. That's not why we give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. So he starts out by saying, let me just tell you why we don't give. The reason we don't give is because somebody stands on a stage and manipulates you. You don't give because somebody stands on the stage and makes you feel guilty. We don't give when you're, you don't give because it, it hurts you. I mean, there's this, there's a strain inside of your heart every time the offering plate's passed, every time somebody asks for money. That is not a reason. That's not a biblical Christian reason to give. I would dare say this morning, I would encourage you, not even dare say, I would encourage you, if that's the state at where you are, keep your money. Keep it. God can do just fine without it. He can do just fine without it here in, in Wellspring Church, but even more so, he can do just fine without it outside of these walls. Just if, if that's where you're at in your spiritual life, I would encourage you, keep it. Because that's not a biblical Christian reason to give, according to Paul. So he starts off by saying why we don't give. Then he jumps into why we do give in the next few verses. It says this. And God, this is why we do give. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency. So he says all of our sufficiency, we are completely and totally sufficient, not in our stuff, not in our resources, not in our paycheck, but in God's grace. It says it right there. His grace abounds. It overflows so much so that you and I are sufficient in whatever God has given us. Our sufficiency is found in His grace. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Next verse. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower. Let me stop right there. Uh, He endures forever. So, He tells us right there, He says, why we do give. And it is solely in the fact that God has been generous to us. Our giving is rooted in the gospel. It is rooted in the gospel. You remember last week, we said that he is generous to us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God did what people who love do. He gave. And it's on no merit of our own. We have not earned it. We have not deserved it. He His generosity is a one-way street. His saving spiritual uh, generosity is a one-way street from him to us. He loved us. He gave his son. And then his son showed up on the scene and gave his life. And then the Holy Spirit came down and has lavishly given us gifts. That is a one-way street of generosity when it comes to saving grace. And that is what is rooted in our generosity to other people. It is rooted solely in God's loving, supernatural, saving grace to us. The gospel is what drives our generosity. God loved, he did did what loving people do. He gave his son. That's what our generosity is rooted in. It is only because God has been lavishly, lavishly generous to us. He has poured out his blessings on us in an immeasurable 
ways. In, in ways that we cannot even comprehend fully. In ways that we could never, ever measure up to. And in ways we can never earn. He has been lavishly generous to us. He has poured out His blessings on us. And our response is that we've got to be generous. It's the only natural response of a believer who has been supernaturally transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, whose sins have been washed away and are counted against them no more. That's the result of a person who has experienced God's grace. They're just generous. Next verse, he says this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So here's what Paul's saying, basically. He's saying that everything that we have belongs to Christ. You do not own anything. You don't own anything. Everything that you have belongs to Christ. So here's, here's the picture that he's given us. He's saying, okay, you have this supply, this food supply. Where did it come from? Well, it came from wheat. Okay, where did the wheat come from? Well, it came from seed. Okay, where did the seed come from? And he just kind of tracks it all the way back until you finally say, God gave it to me. Well, the same is true in our culture. The same is true in our environment. You say, I got a job. Where did you get, where'd you get your house? I got a job. Well, where'd you get your job? I went to school. Well, how'd you go to school? My parents worked hard. Well, how did your parents work hard? And you just keep tracking it back until finally you have to acknowledge that everything that you have belongs to God. You own nothing, according to what Paul is telling us. I own nothing. I am only a steward of it for a certain amount of time. I'm a steward of this position. One day, I'm exiting um, off this stage to the right, and there's going to be somebody that comes behind me. It's not my, my job. I'm not the pastor of Wellspring Church forever. I am a steward of it. I don't own this position. I'm a steward of it for a time. And the same is true in your job. The house that I have is not mine forever. There will be a day that either I move out or somebody carries me out on a stretcher. It is not my house forever. I'm a steward of it for a time. I own nothing. Your car that you are so proud of it's not yours. You're a steward of it. God has given it to you for a certain amount of time to steward. He is the one who owns it, according to the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This drives us nuts in our kids. This very principle. Parents, this, af- this afternoon, actually this morning, when you leave here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop by the store and I want you to buy the present, buy the, the, the toy or the gaming system. If you have older kids, if they wanted a car, just stop by, stop by the dealership on your way home and I want you to buy it for them. Alright? If they were in here, they'd be saying, I love this guy. <laughs> I want you to buy it for them. And I want you to take it home and I want you to let them play it for a, a, just a little bit of time. Alright? Just for a certain amount of time, I want you to let them play it. Or if, if you decide you want to buy them that car on the way home, let them take it out for a spin for, for a short amount of time. And then I want you to have them bring it back. I want you to go back into the room where they're playing with that toy. And I want you to ask them, can dad or mom have a turn? 
Can I try it out? What are they going to say? No. And they're going to go, wait a minute. That's not yours. I bought it. And they're going to say, just like Grayson says to me, yeah, you bought it. You bought it for me. And I'm going to go, wait a minute. That's not yours. I bought it with my money, not your money, my money. And he's going to say, yeah, you bought it for me. And then I'm going to do the only thing that a good parent does. I'm going to chop him in the throat. No, I'm just kidding. But don't our kids do that? And doesn't it drive us nuts? It's like, that's not your, you live in this house by my grace, man. I can, I can send you out of this house. You can sleep out in the backyard. It's only because of my generosity that you have a warm place to stay, young man. And yet we do that to God. We, a, a heavenly father who's been far more generous to us than we could ever be to ourselves. Who loves us with a perfect love. A love that I could never even have for my son and I would, or my daughter. And I would never do that to them. I would never send them out because of their lack of generosity. It still might drive me crazy and I would never let it stand. A good parent I don't think does. But his love for us is perfect. And yet we look at him and we say, no, it's mine. And he goes, you've got to be kidding me, Scott. The mind that you have, the air that you breathe, the, the, the clothes that you wear, the car that you drive, it's all by my grace. It all belongs to me. You're a steward of it for a short amount of time. Everything, the Bible tells us, belongs to God. It's His. We're a steward of it for a short amount of time. He goes on and he says this, you will be enriched in every way. Let me make sure I did this one. Sorry, Jubilee, I'm, I'm losing my mind. It says you will be enriched. Verse 11, yes. Verse 11, it says this. Let me, let me just kind of tell you where we've been. Grace is the foundation of our generosity. It's not earned. It's not deserved. And it's been built upon the ideas that you and I are, are stewards. We're not owners. So the, the, the foundation of our generosity is God's generosity does. On top of that, we build this idea that we're not owners of anything. We're stewards of everything that we've been given. We build on top of that foundation. Our generosity is built on that foundation. That we're stewards. We don't own anything. It all belongs to God. He can do with it what he wants. We're just stewards of it for a short amount of time. And then we pick up in verse 11. It says, the result of that, the result of living that way, of, of the idea of stewardship instead of ownership, is that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So grace is the foundation of our generosity. This, this idea, this we're building on the foundation that we are stewards. We're not owners. And the result of that view of life, the result of, of, of that um, worldview, that I don't own anything, it's, I'm just a steward of it. It all belongs to God. He can do with it what He wants. The result of that is that you and I have an enriched life. Here's how I can say that nothing defines me except for Christ. If I'm driving home and I get in a wreck, with my car, oh well, it didn't define me anyway. It wasn't mine to begin with. 
Pray everybody's safe, absolutely. But I'm talking about the, the car itself, the, 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 uh, the physical car. I don't care because it does not define me. I was having a, con- a, a, a conversation with a friend this week. We're sitting in Starbucks. And he said, you know, in, there are moments, there are moments of weakness, there are moments when I don't remember who I am in Christ, that I rely on the fact that I graduated from West Point. And I wanted to say, yeah, I would too. But he said, when I remember who I am in Christ, who cares where I went to college? Who cares what kind of car I drive? I can live an enriched life because I live my life with an open hand. God, you can, if you lavish physical um, uh, resources into my life, great. You can use them however you want. If you take them away, who cares? They were never mine to begin with. They were only yours. A life that lives, that is lived this way. God, you can give, you can take away. Either way, blessed be your name. A life that is lived like this, even the world would go, that's a rich, rich life. Because my car doesn't define me, my home doesn't define me, my job doesn't define me. If I get fired tomorrow for standing up for righteousness sake, who cares? Because that was not where my identity was anyway. That's an enriched life. And Paul says, that we have an enriched life when, when our generosity is bedrocked in God's generosity to us. On top of that is built this idea of stewardship, not ownership. The result is an enriched life. You and I can live like this and nothing, nothing this world has to offer, nothing this world can take away, can rock us can shake our faith, can change who we are in Christ. He closes it out in verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, but their approval of this service... uh, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And so he closes out by giving us the two-fold impact of our generosity as believers. He says, that was your life built on this foundation of of God being generous to us, the gospel. We're stewards, we're not owners. Um, We have an enriched life because we can live like this no matter what comes, what leaves. We're good. Our foundation, our identity is in Christ. The result is that we are generous. And here is what happens. Number one is this, felt needs are met and you are good at this. The church as a whole, the wider church, has actually been very good at this over the years. But you especially, Wellspring, specifically, are very good at this. You meet needs, felt needs. People are clothed. Orphans have Christmas. Kids who have nothing have a box to open. All because of your generosity. You are very good at this. Felt needs are met when we are generous, according to the scriptures. But secondly, and maybe not as obvious, is this. God is the one who is praised. Thanksgiving. When felt needs are met, according to the scriptures, 
When felt needs are met, people don't praise us. We do it based on the gospel. They praise the one who we praise. Thanksgiving is given to God. Let me see if I can give you one example of that. 20 or 30 years after the last apostle died, after the, the apostle of John, or John the Apostle, excuse me, after John the Apostle passed away, about 20 or 30 years after he passed away, there was a Christian um, a document that, was, that, that became kind of popular. It was called the Epistle of uh, Dionetus. If you can pronounce his name better than me, good, go for it. D-I-O-G-N-E-T-U-S, Dionetus. Um, and it was written by a believer. We don't know who it was that wrote this uh, particular letter. But it was written to this guy, Diognetus, who was not a believer. But this guy, um, who, whose name I cannot pronounce, was watching the, the, this Christianity, this faith, spread like wildfire in his area of the world. In his, in his town, in his city, he saw this, this um, Christianity spreading like wildfire. And he heard stories about how this was happening all over the world. And this Christian, whose name we don't know, wrote him a letter to talk about believers, to talk about Christians. And here is at least part of what this letter to Dianetus said when describing, when talking about believers, when talking about Christians. He said this, they, Christians, busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own native lands, but they live as aliens. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are poor, but make many rich. They are short of everything, yet have plenty of everything. They are treated outrageously, but behave respectfully. They are mocked and blessed in return. When they do good, they are attacked. When they are attacked, they rejoice as if being given new life. In our generosity, may that be said about us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you that our generosity is rooted, is grounded in your generosity to us. It is not because of manipulation. It's not because uh, of a guilty conscience. It's not because of anything except the fact that you have been generous to us. And because of that, if there is any coercion, if there's any reluctance, Father, we can just keep it in our pocket. And the only result is that we would desire to be able to give it freely. We don't have to walk out of here feeling guilty. We don't have to walk out of here feeling bad. Because grace is deeper. It's wider. It's stronger. It's bigger than that. So I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now just... For clarity's sake, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass an offering plate in a few minutes. It's just a regular old offering. We're not raising funds for anything. Kind of a funny thing. Last time I talked about generosity, last time I talked about money, one of the jokes that I made at the very beginning is, "I don't need a new car." 
The very next day, I went to the mechanic and he told me I needed a new car. <laughs> Not joking. So we had to start, you know, we'd already been saving a little bit. We had to save up more and, and, and we had a little time. So I'm not going to tell you that I don't need a new car. I don't think I need one right now, but I don't want to go tomorrow and find out I do. All right? But there's nothing special. We're not, we're not raising funds. This is going to be a rhythm, the rhythm of our life. Because God's grace is deeper, it's stronger, it's wider than anything else that this world has to offer. So we're going to sing, we're going to worship. We do that in grace. We do that freely. And then we're going to pass the offering plate. We do that freely, not under compulsion, not under manipulation. It's a regular old offering to meet the needs that we have here. Nothing special about it except for that we have an opportunity to worship, to live our life like this. You can give and you can take away at His perfect pleasure. So let's sing. If you'll stand with me, we're going to sing, and then we're going to continue to worship after that.